It's exciting that we get to we get to be part of doing this journey of life together. And so thank you for involving your family and your life with what is going on here. In fact, we're talking about our journey together in this series, The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And part of the journey is that uh, there are sometimes we like to say, hey, what are we building on? Um, and today we're going to talk a little bit about what do we need to take away first? And it's a little bit of that uh, maybe deconstruction. But have you ever taken on a project, by the way, that's been really just too big almost for you to handle? Has anybody ever taken on something that you really, it's bigger than you realized? Have you ever done that? Okay, you kind of start it, you think this is going to be awesome. We can do this. It's going to be wonderful. Um, my wife and I, we bought a house as we entered Rochester that needed some remodeling. But before we could do remodeling, actually, it um, hadn't been um, worked on very well. In fact, it, uh, there were some things that were really falling apart when I walked in the bathroom and I put my foot on the floor and it, and it went through to the basement. I realized this needs some work. And so we, um, we had to do some deconstruction um, before you could actually do some of the new construction. So we moved out all the old appliances. We, we pulled out part of the ceiling. We took out some specific walls at that particular time, removed all the sheetrock, repaired windows and doors, had to do some of the plumbing work, and the house needed a lot of things to it. And so I remember one night, I was sitting on the floor and I was scraping and I said, how many layers is there? And there were three layers of linoleum and it was different levels of this floor and I'm looking at that and it was about midnight and I'm tired and I'm looking around and it was just about looking like this and wires are hanging down and I, I said, what have I gotten myself into? I think I might have uh, stepped over too far. I had flashbacks of the radios, the watches, um, the clocks that I took apart in the home and tried to fix. Um, my mom and dad would often ask uh, when I got done, what are these parts that are left over? Are, are they extras? And I would say, well, they are now. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if it works. Um, the majority of the time, even though it was broken, I could not repair some of those, but I always thought I would try. I felt like I was uh, in one of those um, taken back to Tim the Toolman Taylor home improvement projects um, that always seemed to go awry, you know, oh, oh, I can do this. And uh, trying to, you know, just uh, if I just do a little bit more, put a little more effort. You ever notice though when you start a project, it always takes longer than you think. Oh, this will be just a couple hours. A couple days later, you're still working on it. Had to redo the windows in the front. We have this great big kind of bow window and I, I told my wife, as long as you let me work on the house, kind of like a hobby, and don't have deadlines, we're gonna get along real well. So we started taking the window apart, and two years later, I finished it. I don't think that's too bad. I could have pretended at the moment that everything was gonna be okay. Um, like a child who thinks they are a kung fu expert in fighting, they might believe they're like as fast as lightning, they may see themselves even a little bit frightening with just the right timing. But this just continues to feed the illusion of the family commandments that I grew up with, right? It's kind of like, oh, you can do it. If you want something done right, do it yourself. So you guys know it too. You're in the same thing. That's right. You better do it yourself. Doesn't matter. And that was what I grew up in, that, that slogan. When it comes to deconstructing our inner life, though, um, 
and we only allow on our own strength and think, I can do this on my own, we are setting ourselves up for a huge disaster. Facing reality that you need something more than yourself and your own inner discipline is it's absolutely essential to gaining the emotional and spiritual health that's necessary for us to grow closer to God and have quality relationships with one another. So I'm going to ask four questions as we go through this particular um, part of our scripture passage this morning. And they, they're, they're questions that just kind of come out of the text if you really, if you look within that. And also they're, they deal with our lives in a way that break through that wall that's holding you back in your walk with God and in your walk into the health that he wants you to have. So let's jump in the passage. If you've got your Bibles, you can open those up to Joshua um, chapter 3. I, I do have this in your um, insert, so if you've got your insert, you can, you can pull that out, and um, there's some notes in there if you want to take them to help you remember some of these things, but let's jump into that text. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shethim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levite priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. Keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. It was important for them to understand this, and, and let me give you a little, little bit of background on what's happening. The promised land is in sight at this point. All those things that they've been working for, um, 400 years of slavery that they've been under, now the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness have brought them to the very edge of what God had promised them. And so now here they are, and it's like, we can see it. It's right there in front of us. We've taken all this time to move through this, and now we are ready to go. And so you've got this, and they have hoped, they have walked, they have suffered, they have prayed, they have talked, they have cried, they have regretted, they have messed up and regretted again and asked for forgiveness and, and basically whined their way. Um, you know, oh, how come we have to go through all this almost up to this point? And now it's like, okay, let, let's get this set on what's necessary for us to enter into this. What God has for us. What his promises are. Are you ready for this? So here we come. What did they see when they got there? Well, a river in the flood stage overflowing its banks. There is no low water crossing in sight. The river is 150 miles long. They can't go around it. No bridges. They can't go over it. The way is blocked. The river itself is impassable. There's neither a good time nor a good place in which to cross. And so now they're looking and thinking, okay, um, we've had all this stuff going on and now here we are confronted with another obstacle. Here we are just, we can see the promise, but there's all this raging water going around us. So for three days they camped in front of it as the officers gave directions of what was gonna happen next. Do you ever find that true of your life too? Have you ever come to a point like, oh, I made it through this obstacle. There won't ever be any more in my life. I made it through this. This is awesome. We like to rejoice when we go through certain trials, certain difficulties. But if you're living with the kind of ideas that once I'm done with this, 
everything is going to be perfect. Everything's going to be fine. No, there's a sense that all the way along the journey, we get to have those wonderful mountaintops and the valleys, and we continue to cross through the difficulties. When I was younger, I would believe, because this is what the, this kind of part of my family tradition too said, um, the more life will make sense. Just when you get older, you'll understand all this. When you get older, you'll be able to have these responsibilities. When you get older, everything will fall into place. You'll have more security, the less problems you will have. In my limited understanding as a child, I thought being an adult actually meant you have it all together. You always know what to do next. I came to find out uh, that's not true. In fact, for many people, their childhood, all that took place um, in the first 20 years of their life to spend, you know, the next 60, 70 years working through it. Through to waking into adulthood is that there's, there's some things as you go along that you go, wow, I thought, I thought in the journey, um, once I made it through this particular wall, there were no more. I like what Anne Lamott says in her book, Traveling Mercies. I don't know why life isn't constructed to be seamless and safe. Why we make such glaring mistakes. Things fall so short of our expectations and our hearts get broken and our kids do scary things and our parents get old and don't always remember to put pants on before they go out for a stroll. <laughs> I don't know why it's not more like it is in the movies. Why things don't come out neatly and lessons can't be learned when you're in the mood for learning them. Why love and grace often come in such motley packaging. I like that. I like that, the sense of saying, yeah, how come, how come it doesn't really work out? But I like the, the honesty and the rawness and the realness of that. We have this idea of how we want things to be, but when you are in the midst of the difficult struggle and trial and you're trying to make it through and you see obstacles before the promises, what do you do? So here's the first question you must answer in the journey. And this is what they had to answer all the way along. Am I willing to admit I'm constantly in need of God's help? I am constantly in need of God's help. And why is that such an important question? Because if you sit back and you go, you know, am I really in need of God's help here? Am I, do I really need to rely on him in this? He's watching. He's looking. He wants to strengthen you every step of the way. But he's wondering, do you really rely upon me to do what you can't do? Do you understand there's some things in life you won't be to do? It's only when we come to the end of ourselves that we realize really how incomplete we are without God. Seriously, that nagging emptiness that we long to have filled was meant for God alone. He created us that specific way. Some call it the God void. He made us as vulnerable humans. He did not make us as a God where we could provide all of our needs on our own. In fact, they was even thinking about that as up here with the the baptism of Quinn, and, and I'm thinking of that child depends on the parents for everything. Doesn't even know that depending, but does. Has no choice but to depend. So I think that's part of our difficulty when we look at what God wants to do in the transformation of our life. Like a river that's overflowing its banks, God longs for us to be overwhelmed by who he is, not by the problem. He wants us to be overwhelmed by the simple fact of 
wow, God, you are bigger than whatever issue is facing me right now. No matter what that is, you're bigger than that. I don't know if you remember a few years ago, we went through the 12 steps to life recovery. And isn't it interesting, if, you, if you've been through any of them, um, that all 12-step programs have an important realization um, as the first thing that must happen. And here it is. We admitted that we were powerless over our problems and that our lives had become unmanageable. We talked about that. And I remember after we got done with that series, a couple people came up to me and said, uh, John, can I tell you something? Um, I'm not powerless over my life. It's not unmanageable. I actually think I've lived my life pretty well. And so is that going to be a problem for God? Or is it okay that I've done a pretty good job with him just interfering once in a while? <laughs> That's a terrible thing to ask me. <laughs> and it's actually an, an awful thing to turn around and ask God about because here's the thing of it. God allows the difficulties in our life because he wants us to realize we are not in control. And he also says that I design you for this innate connection with me. And maybe you think, well, it's really not that bad. I can still control things. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not having too much of a problem with drinking, drugs, pornography, lying, gossiping, eating, lusting, stealing, judging. Whatever struggle it is for you, or whatever struggles there are you go through, I believe I'm doing a pretty good job at it. If you have that particular, you are in a rough place to be able to see what God wants to do because you're in that control trap. Or maybe you say to yourself, at least I'm not like that person over there who struggles with this. They really have problems. I'm actually doing better than them. That's that comparison trap. Or maybe you're one, like in my family, hey, you know what? All you have to do is pull yourself up by your bootstraps, succeed on your own efforts, try a little harder. This next time you can change. I call that the false commitment trap because you're making a commitment to something that you're not gonna be able to carry through on fully in your own strength. Which brings us to the second step in the 12 step parts. Um, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. This is part of the 12 step program. So it says, do you realize, are you trusting there's a power greater than yourselves who could actually bring you to the reality of what life is about? Last week, I talked about one of my family origins. One of the most important mottos is, there's nothing so difficult that can't be solved by learning how to fix it and working harder than anyone else to do just that. That's what was ingrained in me all the way through. I believe this motto is most of our westernized world, though. I mean, don't you think that? I mean, seriously, it's, it's all about, you know what? You can make the way yourself. You can do this. You can make it happen. If you have any dreams, you go for it. It's the motto that we grow up in. Or maybe we want God's help in a way that we often look in the cabinet and say, what medication do I need to take to fix this? That's kind of how we look at God. God, I'm just looking at my God medications and saying, if I take this, take this, God, good to go. Now I'm off on my own. I need a quick fix. Yet Jesus said to anyone who wanted to follow after him and receive real life as a disciple. This is what he, he said. He said, must deny themselves. That means seeing the reality of your own self-centeredness and brokenness through God's eyes. Who wants to offer you something better than you just trying to do it on your own. He said, take up your cross daily. 
People of that era understood, we understand that. We see people who carry their cross up to the hill and what happens on that hill? They die. It's always a place one goes to die to their own things. Jesus was saying, unless you die to your own way of thinking and acting on a daily basis, you cannot embrace the better life I want to give you. It's a constant. It is a daily exercise, by the way. It's a daily exercise. You come and say, hmm, what are the things in my life right now that I'm holding on to that I'm not willing to surrender to God? Lord, is there anything in my life right now that's, that I'm doing that? God knows. If you sit quietly like we've been trying to do here, he'll show you some of them, and then he'll, he'll exchange it for something far greater. And follow me. That means adopting his way of life. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. My friends, he wants you to need him. He wants you to come to him and say, look at where I'm at. God, my life is now yours. I died to this way of thinking. I've embraced your way. Now I get to move forward in a power and in a strength with all of the benefits of the spirit that you give me to be more loving, kind, peaceful, um, self-discipline. All these things that you offer to me that I can't produce on my own, you now live within me to create those. It's an amazing thing. I am so thankful for that. I need him. Can you admit that you stand in need of that help? That's what he's looking for. When you admit this, he asks something of us to prepare us for what he wants to give us. Let's continue to read down. Verse 5. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourself. That's a nice statement, isn't it? Um, by the way, has anybody ever heard when their parent, growing up, has your parents ever came, hey, hey, I think you better go consecrate your scalp. <laughs> I don't know. If my parents would, I would have gone, I don't know. I don't want to misinterpret what that would mean, but it doesn't sound good. So it's the idea, back in verse 4 it says, since you have never traveled this way before, interesting statement, isn't it? You've never got to this point before. You're right up to this point where you have an opportunity to see God do this amazing work, and now you see the raging river. Are you going to turn back like you have for the 40 years one in the wilderness, or are you ready to take, okay, God, what needs to happen right now? This is part of the consecration. It's a new chapter, a new adventure, a new land. It's all new, and God says, I'm going to take you through that wall that you see, that obstacle. And this preparation is a spiritual one, by the way. When he says, consecrate yourself, it means get ready for what God is going to do. Prepare your hearts, your minds. Get yourself before in a position of God so that he can act. God's going to do great wonders for his people. He says, prepare. It's packed with meaning. It means dedicating yourself. It means fully investing in, making yourself um, in, in a position where God can create that that sanctification process means washing you and cleansing you and purifying you and setting you apart. He says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's always faithful and just to forgive your sins, purify you. It doesn't make a difference. You come and say, Lord, I know I messed up. He wants to wipe that away. That's the consecration process. Now you're ready. You realize you can't do it on your own. You realize you made some mistakes. Don't stay in that. Let's move on. We're ready to go. I like what James says. It says, get rid of all filth and evil in your lives. Humbly accept the word of God that is planted in your hearts. For it is the power to save your souls. But just don't listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. 
You're only just having it up here. It's not coming out of here. So we've learned that stripping off the old ways allows God to close with the character qualities that his spirit can produce within us. Not simply correcting or restraining, but purging the deep messes of our lives. Those things that he wants to do. So here's a few. Um, and maybe some of these relate with you. Um, pride. Um, if you look at it as the idea of, I think myself is better than others. Um, or it may be that I'm looking for the approvals of others. I'm impatient with other people who mess up. Um, they're not making progress. I mean, whatever pride is that stands, God says it's one of the things he hates because it puts you in a position of hierarchy. And Jesus, if you know what he said, I give you this example, to be a servant. Greed, are you discontent with what God has given you? Whatever measure of faith he's given you, he's asked you to live within that. What about luxury? Pleasure in the spiritual blessings that God wants to give and all of that more than God himself. Lord, I want you, but I want what you offer more. God's saying, but do you really want me? Do you know what I'm about? Do you, have you gotten to know me, the real me, the God who created the whole idea of love and the whole idea of nurture and the whole idea of what true relationships look like? What about anger? Are you easily irritated? No patience to wait. Judging others, they don't measure up. Spiritual gluttony, which means um, I don't really want to go with the carry my cross daily, but I like everything else that you want to give me. Envy, unhappy when others do well. Sloth or laziness, um, you run from what's hard. Is that part of your issue? Um, is that something that God has to strip away and get in a hole? Lying, one of the most difficult areas to surrender. Lord, I just ask you to cleanse me and, and help me to be a person of integrity. See, God chooses certain people to go through a greater intensity of struggling. It's a very hard thing, and sometimes we choose it ourselves, but God, in the midst of calling out anyone who's going to follow him, says, you need to understand that in the midst of this, I'm calling you into this because I am going to give you um, a giftedness that, that only I can give. And whatever the struggle is here, my gift of presence, and that's why Paul could say, I boast all the more of my weaknesses, because when I am weak, then I am strong. He realized, wow, I have been given a great gift of being able to not rely upon myself. Are you willing to admit your constant need of God's help? During Joseph's time, they'd be making sin offerings for forgiveness, preparing their hearts to receive the gift God wanted them to have, including the giving, receiving of forgiveness. And so here's the second question. Am I willing to be broken so I might be able to see God's presence and strength in my life? Are you willing to be broken? Are you willing to come down and say, Lord, yep, I, I see now that this is something that you're going to need to break me of. I, I'm unwilling on my own, so I'm coming before you. I've tried this a lot of times, but now I'm ready. Now I'm ready for you to do something I can't do. Psalm 10.4 says, in his pride, the wicked person does not seek him, God, and all his thoughts, there's no room for God. It's just all about me. We miss out on God has in store for us simply because we are unwilling to say, God, I really believe that you have something far greater for me than what I think I can do on my own. Or we get caught up in the fact that 
man, I'm just browbeating myself because I am not a good person. How could God accept me? How could he love me? How could he embrace me? How could he change me? And it's like the sense of saying, no, God isn't holding on. He, he longs to free you from those thoughts. When God takes us through the wall, he says, you'll be changed. The following are four primary characteristics of life found on the side of the wall. You have a greater level of brokenness. And here's the thing about brokenness. I used to fear it all the time. Lord, how can I fly below your radar and not have to struggle with things? And God says, actually, I'm inviting you into brokenness. I'm inviting you in because once you realize it doesn't matter how difficult it becomes, it doesn't matter what obstacles I place before you, it doesn't matter what you have to overcome, when you step over to trust in me, guess what you get to have? You get to have me and my strength in a greater way. And so this idea of this brokenness actually takes away fear. It takes it away because your eyes are on him. It's a greater appreciation for the holy unknowing, right? The mystery. Well, I don't know what the outcome of this is going to be, God. But I'm trusting you. I, got, I can't see. Um, they couldn't see for all those years wandering the wilderness. But all of a sudden they could see across. But if they were sitting there looking at the raging river, the obstacle, man, God, all I see is this river. There's no way. What are we going to do? It's, it's No. You just say, well, that's an obstacle I can't do, so God, I'm going to put this before you. I'm going to watch to see how you handle it. I'm going to step back, and I'm going to listen to what you asked me to do. This, this unknowing and allowing God to move. It's also the need for ability to wait on God, right? Because then you have to wait on him. Well, I can't do it, but I'm going to wait on you to see what you have. It also creates a greater detachment from the world, which means that you're not looking for the things that the world offers, you're not conforming again to the patterns of them, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So are you willing to be broken so you might be able to see God's presence and strength in your life? Are you willing? Be honest about that. If you're not, say, God, I'm not willing to, but help me to. That's a great prayer. I prayed it often, by the way. Let's read on. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass on ahead of the people, so they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of the all Israel, so that you may know that I am the one who is with you just as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of Jordan's water, go and stand in the river. <laughs> Isn't that great? How do you like that? Whatever mess you're going through, whatever obstacles, how would you like that? Oh, yeah, I would like you to go stand right in there, right in the midst of the mess, and then watch to see what happens when I take care of it. I want you to go do that. I know it looks scary. I know it looks troubling. I know you're thinking, man, I don't know if I want to enter into the mess of my life, God. And God's saying, no, I invite you into that. Go, go into it. I don't like that idea. I, I, I would rather choose something else. Remember that last picture with the little kid, you know, just, oh, what mess? Right? Um, it's kind of like, you need to be cleaned up. Um, it, there's a part of it that's just, God says, I'm going to invite you into it. You can't avoid the mess. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of the earth will go into Jordan ahead of you. 
Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. I like that. All those ites, right? I think of the parasites. Can you get rid of all the parasites that are coming with you? And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, when that happens, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carry the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a great heap distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zerathon, where the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that's the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho, and the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan, and there they stood on dry ground. I can't imagine what that's like. Just come on. It's dry. Look, come on by. Look at it. It's all dry. The river's on both sides, and, and it's dry. This is awesome, isn't it? I mean, look at this. It's all just, all the mess is just held off. God's able to take us through this. I mean, I would just be, you know, practically dancing. It would be like, whoa. I think I, I might be one of the ones, so if I wasn't holding the ark of the covenant, I'd be the one scrambling. <laughs> Let's get across this as fast as we can. <laughs> Hoping God doesn't change his mind. That's that doubt that sometimes comes in. But I would be just so overcome, and I love the fact that they stood right in the middle. We're going to stand in the middle, the worst place possible, and show you God is present. Right in the middle of whatever mess you may have in your life right now, God's there. I want you to stand and say, I am going to do something extraordinary in your life. And that's question number three. Am I willing to take that step of faith into the unknown that God has in store for me? Am I willing to enter into the life of the, the mess of my life and say, God, I'm going to let you take this. God did not hold back the water for Israel before they actually put their feet in it. It's only after they stepped in it that God acted. He said, I want you to have an act of faith. I want to see you step out and watch to see what I can do. Are you willing to do that? It's fascinating what happens when we do that. If we just stood on the bank waiting for answers, waiting for a better time and place, waiting for the waters to subside, you will miss out. We never go alone, by the way. God gives himself to us. He joins us. He invites us in. And we join him in taking those steps. Just like Noah crossed the oceans that ended up being there. The floodwaters that swept the old, revealing a new world. Just like Job, Jacob, who wrestled with God at night, blessed him and renamed him. Watching him limp across the Jabbok River with a new identity. The people who were in bondage in Egypt, you know, this is one thing they had. They, they crossed the Red Sea, but then they had to take 40 more years before they could actually enter in. Fascinating. God was inviting them in. It's not where he is leading you. It's about the fact that he will be there with you. Do you believe that? Do you believe he's there with you right now in whatever you're going through? Like Israel, we stand at the edge of the Jordan. 
The only way into the promise of God is to take that step forward. Are you willing to take that step into the unknown? And by the way, did you notice in the story? And this is another one. I had only three on there, but I'm going to give you one more. Because I think this is really important for us to understand as I was looking at this. The story wasn't just about Joshua. Did I have said Joseph? I meant to say Joshua. I realized something very important that you are to journey through the wall and to bring you into a deeper relationship with Jesus, but it also is who are those that you are choosing to join you in this journey? Who are those you will choose to journey with you? This is a really important one. Who you choose, the wisdom of friends, the sense of saying, where am I going to go? It's important. At the beginning of this message, I talked about the remodel in my home. I was over my head, I admit it. Beyond my capacity to complete the project, I needed other people to help me. I reached out to some talented friends who could do what I was unable to do. So friends came and helped do electrical, the sheetrock taping. Anybody ever tried that? Doing sheetrock taping? I did. That's it, I'm done. <laughs> Spent like an hour on one trip. I said, I can't do that. That's someone else's. I need other people to help me. It was awesome to be able to do that. Um, the finished work, hired someone who loved to do that and were excellent at it. You chose the journey here today to be together. This idea of us coming together to encourage one another, build one another up through the ups and downs of your life is a crucial choice that all of us make. None of us are perfect. We're all on this journey and we all make mistakes, but we do this in a way that says together we are better than we would be by ourselves. Choose wisely. I'm thankful. I, I didn't finally get the kitchen finished. This is pretty close to the time we got it finished. Uh, this was not going to happen unless I was honest that I needed help. Um, I had to be broken of my prideful family heritage that said, if you want something right, done right, do it yourself. I had to learn the reality of what Paul said in Ephesians 2. In my own life, walk with God and with others. He said, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus, so then, through this connection with him, we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. It is his work. So what's the step of faith that God's asking you to take? Maybe it's to deal with some anger or resentment. Maybe your life has become unmanageable. And God's bringing you saying, are you willing to submit this to me? Maybe you've never been silent in your life. You've never sat down and just really allowed this process of being quiet before him. So he could speak to you. Perhaps it's letting go of having control. Maybe you need to forgive someone, reconcile. Maybe it means you no longer let fear dominate your life. Taking the risk for this intimacy and vulnerability and trusting that, you know, God, you know what you're doing. Someone's going to step out and do that. I don't know what the first step is for you, but I know that God does. And so as we come together as a body, we do come in the state of saying, Lord, we want to be 
in humbleness before you. And so I'm going to ask Pastor Sarah to come, and she is going to um, lead us in this whole thing of confession and then our assurance of pardon as we move forward, as we consecrate ourselves to the work God has called us to do here. Because from this point on, we are going to journey forward in this series to some of the life-giving things that God wants to do. The practices that we've already been learning, now rubber hits the road. And so let's take some time this morning to just come before him and prepare ourselves, consecrating ourselves to him. Lord, there are times when we may feel like victims, pawns in the power plays, which are so much a part of life these days. However, you look into our hearts and you question what part we play in those power struggles. You showed us that the journey of discipleship is a journey into servanthood and powerlessness. Forgive us for being tempted to power through our struggles by our own strength rather than rely on you. God did not say, you shall not be tempted, you shall not be troubled, you shall not be distressed. God did say, you shall not be overcome. Pray with me. Words will be on the screen. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led into the wilderness where he was tempted. Sheltering God guiding God. As you were present with Jesus in his wilderness experience, so you are present with us. We have felt discouraged and at times even abandoned and betrayed by you, O oh God, when all manner of things have not gone well with us. Lord, have mercy. Instead of following where you lead, O oh God, at times we follow a tempter who shows us a vision of the world that is a mere counterfeit of what you desire for us. At times, oh God, we are deceived and enticed by imitations of love, abundance, and joy. Christ, have mercy. And God, when you have not answered in the ways or in the times that we desire, we have been tempted to lean on our own understanding and not acknowledge you in all ways. We so often have sought to control our lives and order our own steps, ignoring your wisdom and pushing your guidance aside. Lord, have mercy. Help us to trust you to journey with us and to guide us. Help us to rest in your promise to never leave us or forsake us. Sisters and brothers, your sins are forgiven. Be at peace. 